Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Loveline is meant for an adult audience. Loveline may contain sexually oriented content. Listener discretion is advised. Loveline with Dr. Chris starts. Three, two, one. Now. Happy Tuesday, everybody. I hope your week is still going strong. Hope you're taking care of yourselves, but more importantly, I hope you're also taking care of those around you, which means wearing your masks. Yep, people still aren't wearing them. I was just looking at a story, God bless, of Vice President Mike Pence, who refused to wear a mask. He was uh, at the Mayo Clinic, and when asked to wear a mask, he said he wouldn't. He also intimidated the Mayo Clinic into deleting their tweet about it, but I'm looking at a photo of it because people still snagged it. Everyone's following protocol, wearing their mask. He's literally in a healthcare facility and refuses to wear his mask. So again, not only do we have a credibility issue coming out in terms of reports around the pandemic from the White House, we have this sack of crap refusing to follow protocol, leading a poor example, along with inciting a lot of racist, violent things, along with him and his orange cohort. So God bless the administration. Like they're consistently letting us all down, breaking my heart, but more importantly, acts of violence overtly and covertly. So y'all, we are not ready. <laughs> the, uh, you know, it's flattening the curve a little bit, but that doesn't mean, does not mean it's time to go out. We are talking about, you know, Georgia's wide open. People are at the bars, South uh, SoCal here in California. People are at the beaches. Listen, just because the local government mayors and governors are necessarily opening up, it doesn't mean it's time. So I, uh, oh man, I'm, I love right now, governor, Cuomo, New York, and and Gavin Newsom, uh, Gavin Newsom here in California. I'm not saying that their politics are ideal, but the way they're handling the pandemic is, and I'm really following their lead. And they're saying when we start to reopen in a couple weeks, they're going to be following distance protocol, having service workers still wearing masks. So it breaks my heart. We see our own vice president not even following that now. It's it's disgusting to me. So anyway, we have to ignore that, and it is a mental health issue, and that's why I talk about politics. Politics is absolutely a mental health issue because everything that's happening in our culture and politically trickles down and impacts our mental health, our sense of safety, our human rights. Like, I don't know how people separate the two out, but I've gotten some DMs where people are saying, stop talking about the president. How? Why? Face the truth, y'all. You know what I mean? It's shocking to me. So there's a lot going on. It's really, really heartbreaking. JetBlue. I mean, here we go. The airlines. JetBlue is right now the first airline that's announced that all their passengers have to wear masks. Great. Um, supermarkets here locally are making everyone wear masks. Great. I wish people were being more thoughtful about that. So anyway, that's that. And again, we're all looking at reports of the New York ER doctor who treated coronavirus patients and died by suicide. 
Um, she was overwhelmed by what she was dealing with and what she saw. This is the 49-year-old medical director of the emergency department at New York Presbyterian Allen Hospital in Manhattan, Dr. Lorna Breen. She died in uh, Virginia where she was staying with her family. Look, this is heartbreaking stuff. She had contracted the, the virus while treating patients, God bless her, but recovered and had gone back to work. And um, she tried to do her job and it killed her. She was in the trenches of the front line and uh, it was depressing her. Listen, healthcare workers are some of the most affected here in California, they're at the top of the rung there. The nurses, they're the ones that are getting most impacted. It's heartbreaking. And that's why it makes me sad when I see even our own administration not taking this seriously. It's not a joke, folks. Um, you know, ba- piggybacking on that, a lot of people are, are experiencing fatigue and brain fog. And that's what we call in psychology, allostatic loading. And basically that means when our nervous system and cortisol and adrenaline, all the stress hormones aren't able to be released and our body isn't able to downregulate and go back to its baseline. We are constantly kept in a hyper aroused, overactivated state because we're not given a break from these things. News, social media conversations keep us flooded with all this. And so it goes back to basically turning all that off in the self-care. But more importantly, let's have a macro perspective long-term. If we follow the rules and we're staying home and we're wearing our masks, it ends the pandemic, thereby ending the widespread macro thing that is inducing all of this. And then we won't need to be practicing the self-care and the boundaries around it if we can actually eliminate it. So please, please, please take this more seriously. Um, that's part of what's going on with this. So people are talking, as we talked about on the other show, bizarre dreams, new mental illness things. It's how we deal with this. Um, but pushing along from that Zoom backgrounds, God bless it. I don't know how many of you have been learning how to do new technology. I've had to. I've had my technological skills tested and improved through this because I'm doing a lot of recordings from home and a lot of different events from home, telemedicine from home. So Zoom's become a lot of our new best friends. I wasn't aware that you could change the backgrounds. And I was loving the, the, the meme that went around showing the one business exec who accidentally turned herself into a potato and did not know how to undo that. And so went through the entire meeting as a potato. I haven't done that yet. I've done almost everything else that's probably on its way. Wait for it. <laughs> um, but God bless it. <clears throat> um, but let's talk for a minute about this new thing called fubbing. What is fubbing? Well, it's when you ignore others to be on your phone. And it's linked to anxiety and depression. Why? Well, other people are needing to connect, to feel validated and seen. We need eye contact, intentional time together, attention. And when you're on your phone, you're not able to do that. Let you also, I want you also to know that multitasking is not real. It is not us being at our high level of competence. We cannot transition back and forth. We cannot hold complete focus on two things at one time like that. We are immersed more in one or the other, sometimes completely disconnected from the other. And so I'm a fan, and I say this all the time. If someone's on their phone and they're talking to me, I always say, I'll wait. And it annoys people, but I am worth and I demand people's complete attention. I'm willing to wait. And that's why I say happily, I'll wait, but I'm not gonna have it, I'm not gonna have it split because I don't want to drop into some form of social isolation while while actually in the presence of others so don't ignore people while being fixated on your on your phone it's called fubbing and studies are showing that it has some problematic outcomes and some people they run their entire relationships that way always with this intimacy buffer of the phone where you're barely getting their full attention their full presence they're not even home they're out doing other things but when they are with you they're kind of disconnected in that way so Put your damn phones down. What I want to come out of this whole coronavirus is more care and compassion, as I've said, but also just more attention paid to the importance of intimacy and connection and socialization. So give it to people. 
All right, y'all. That is that is my little speech. Make sure you're checking out our show. It's podcast that we are channel Q and on radio.com. And coming up next, we're going to be talking about mental exercise. It's as important as physical exercise. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. Loveline with Dr. Chris on channel Q. All right, we're back. And now it's time to talk about touch. It's so interesting, you know, coming into the whole COVID-19 thing, we didn't really have to look at the safety of touch outside of consent violations and assault, which is quite powerful and meaningful. And I'm so thankful that we're thinking more about that because I worked with far too many sexual assault and physical assault uh, victims that never really felt like them trying to set a boundary was ever taken seriously. And the work sadly was on them to remind others that you can't just hug touch, grab. And now the world's paying more attention to that. And people are asking and saying, Hey, do you hug? Are you a hugger? And they're being more thoughtful about not just leaning on someone or excuse me, putting their hand on someone's shoulder. And I think that that's really important. That's really valuable. So consent culture born out of rape culture is something we're still working on. Cause again, not, not, not everyone is still nailing this, but we're getting better about it. So what happens though, when we get into a pandemic that is making touch now dangerous and heightened the anxiety and fear around touch touching oneself, even our faces, our mouths, our eyes, but then also touching others. And we will get back to normal. You know, that's one thing we know about patterns and habits and habituation, which is, you know, this is impactful and there will be echoes for a while, but we'll go back to old ways. And that's fortunate and unfortunate, depending on what specific piece we're talking about. But we know that even from the DARE program, odd reference, but it's, it's helpful. You know, we talk about the drug and alcohol program, DARE, they used to go into schools and they would talk about uh, the dangers of drug use and they would show them a car wreck. Sometimes they'd bring an actual wrecked car or show videos and pictures. And we knew that that had an impact for hours or a couple days, but at some point the strength and meaningfulness of that wears off. And that's why we know that punishment doesn't really help either. And so my point being that right now, the danger, anxiety of touch because of COVID-19 transmission and infections, that that will wear off and we will get more familiar with touching again. But I want us to have a new relationship to our impact on others. I wanted rape culture to lead to that, and it has. And some people push back, but that's shifted and grown. In COVID-19, I want to have the opposite impact where we're still honoring boundaries and consent, but we're realizing how much touch we need because we're in general, a very touch phobic culture. It's rooted in sexism and toxic masculinity and homophobia and toxic monogamy. And what that basically means is we see touch as leading to one thing. Often I, I want to live in a world where we can be affectionate with our friends and that's not threatening to our romantic partners. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we're flirting or eroticizing or trying to lead to sexuality or sensuality, that it can just be a sign of like, I feel close to you or I care for you. And so I think it's really beautiful when I see friends holding hands, leaning on each other, sitting close, I really, really value that. And I, I have friendships where there's a lot of touch involved, all different genders, and it makes us feel very close and it's a beautiful way to bond. And it also can make us feel safe. And we talk a lot about co-regulation and that's one of the most powerful ways to do that for friends, loved ones, and partners to 
touch them, you know, with consent, you put your hand on their shoulder. And if it's a, a certain kind of partner, maybe put your hand on their leg and you look at them and it calms down their nervous system. It soothes them. It soothes their mind. It soothes their mood. It's a really, really beautiful thing. And we will have a renewed relationship with touch when we get out of this, but I want us to honor that we need more and that we need to change the boundaries again within consent and understanding that everyone has a different history or even present relationship to touch. But I want people to be a little more expansive. We see some other cultures which allow a little more fluidity in it. And I think it's really beautiful. We know what happens when there's touch deprivation and it leads to higher rates of depression and anxiety and, um, Isolation is just very, very, very toxic. And touch is kind of part of that because we can feel isolated while with people. We can feel alone while with people because of the distance. If there's no physicality or eye contact or connection or communication. So we can vocalize that and you can make eye contact, but touch is such a beautiful way to connect and feel closer and connected. So just kind of pay attention to that. What's your history of touch? What's your relationship to touch? When's the last time you were touched? And in what ways? Ask yourself, who do I allow to touch me and how? But also, why? What does it mean for others to maybe touch you? What, what does it mean for those that touch you in the way they touch you? And, and so that's, that's really, really powerful because, again, there's so many different ways we can use touch to connect. It can just be a hello. It can be an I care for you. It can say I'm here for you. It can say I crave you and I desire you. I mean, there's so many beautiful things that it can communicate. And I want us to hold space for all of that. Um, but it's not familiar to a lot of us because for many touch, especially in certain ways has always been a bridge or transition to sexuality or sensuality. It's been part of flirtation and it never played another role. And so just a lot to think about and explore, but, um, it's interesting in this time again, when touch is something that's kind of dangerous, but you know, if nothing else coming out of this time with a little more self-reflection, I think is a really powerful gift that we can give ourselves and also the relationships that we're in. So try to offer that to yourself and those around you. Um, but again, just examine like what you allow, what you don't allow and with who, but more importantly, it's that question. Why, why, what am I defending against? What am I protecting myself or others from, or why, why is it not tolerable? Where's my work lie? Um, it's a beautiful thing. All right, you're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. Love Line. This is Love Line with Dr. Chris on channel Q. Now, though, let's go to Dr. Milo Dodson, licensed psychologist. Milo, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so, so much for having me back. Uh, there were some technical difficulties the last time we checked in, uh, and so I'm really happy to be back. Yeah, that was a, that was a rough show, but we're doing the best we can, you know? Uh, so yeah. Amen. Let's look at some of the studies. I saw something today that actually was really disheartening and overwhelming to read. It said, and this came out of the UN, a report they put together, which said that if we extend the shelter in place another few weeks or months... It could lead up to rates of 60 million cases of domestic violence and abuse. That is a huge number. Unfortunately, that is a huge number. And I think one of the major things that I want to be able to share with survivors, as well as people who may be currently in some tough situations, is that I just want to send so much love and so much encouragement and making sure that folks know that it is not your fault. And for folks who may be listening, um, who have been around loved ones or who may have heard stories like that, that victim blaming during this time is not helpful, nor is it ever helpful. So the idea of she was asking for it or he should have left or they were in a, you know, um, an abusive relationship in the past, so they don't know any better. 
that is not what we want to say here. So I hope people are listening and knowing that um, they're deserving of that support and that it's important that we support our loved ones. Beautifully said. Let's talk about the term. I know sometimes we'll talk about uh, the term domestic abuse to kind of widening, you know, widen the span. So I think some people might think that it's only violence or abuse if it has a physical component. But let's talk a little bit about the fact that there's sometimes financial, there's emotion, there's psychological. What do we want to be looking at or looking for? Yeah, so if uh, there's a term that's often used called gaslighting, where you know that for a fact something didn't happen, but somebody tries to almost use your words against you. So that could be considered a form of either verbal and or emotional abuse. And I think sometimes people get so connected to only uh, abuse being validated or valid if there's a physical component to it or a sexual abuse component to it because it's tangible and we can say this person did this to me. And so I think some of the things that we're looking for are, you know, financial abuse, like you said, making sure that people aren't saying, well, I'm only going to give you money if you do this for me or, well, you know what, you didn't really do this right. So I'm going to withhold this money. That's abusive. That's not coming from a, a place of love. Beautifully said. And let's talk about this. One of the questions that came in on a prior show was someone talking about having concern for uh, a friend's eating habits. I've also had people ask about concern for people's you know, drug or alcohol use. Let's talk about it in terms of possible domestic abuse. If someone thinks that maybe their friend or a loved one or family member is, is right now sheltering in place or in a domestic violence situation, should they reach out and talk to their friend and question it? Yeah, I think... When we say question, I I think it's always important to approach it from a place of empathetic curiosity instead of trying to be accusatory. So like, hey, you didn't eat like you were supposed to or, hey, you may have, um, you know, limited yourself in eating or anything along those lines. And and so we don't want to accuse people. We want to kind of want to explore like, hey, I'm I love you and I care about you. So let's talk about how I've seen some of your substance use increase over the last couple days or a couple weeks. Um, But again, not trying to get into I saw you do this. What's wrong? That's not going to be helpful for that person. I love that. What was the word you said? Empathetic curiosity. Empathetic curiosity. You can uh, hashtag that if you want. Uh, <laughs> it's beautiful. Right? I mean, I felt my body soften when I heard that because, you know, there's such a fine line between caring um, for your friends or loved ones and also wanting to just kind of mind a boundary and not body shame anyone or food police. It can get murky. Mm-hmm. It can. And I think sometimes we the first question or the, the first way to approach this is saying, what's my intention behind this? Like, if I'm asking this question just to be curious and I'm, you know, curious George over here, I'm not really going to be helping my friend. That's more about me and my stuff than it is about being empathetic and supportive to my friend and my loved one. So again, asking ourselves what the intention is before we ask anything, before we approach that person. I love that. And, and again, just like the whole purpose of the show is we're trying to normalize having more intimate, more honest conversations with ourselves and other people. And so I like the idea of just being able to reach out to a friend and say, hey, you don't seem as happy in the relationship as you had been before. Is everything okay? Or these are some of the things I've been noticing when I'm you know, spending time with you as a couple. Is everything okay? And just kind of normalizing that discussion. Oh, man, I I love the fact that you're saying normalizing like that, because when we do normalize, when we do put some of these concerns in the spotlight, that doesn't allow that shame and that guilt to survive. And so when we put the spotlight again in an empathetic way on some of these concerns, that shame doesn't have anywhere else to go and it kind of just vanishes. 
So when we're able to normalize and have more conversations about mental health, abuse in general, we will start to see some of those concerning numbers decrease. And I really want to encourage people, obviously, you know, with May is Mental Health Awareness Month coming up tomorrow, um, how important it is to always, always destigmatize mental health. Man, it's so beautiful. And let's add another layer to that. Let's talk about the gendered piece. I know that some people are shocked to hear that people that are male identified can also be victims of abuse. Oh, yeah. I, I think the reality is um, part of what the the barrier is there is for one, a toxic masculinity, a, a sense of I'm a man. I sh- this should never happen to me. And then two, implicit with that is a sense of shame. So because I'm a man, because I'm supposed to carry myself in a certain way, I shouldn't have let this happen to me. And so there's this internalized shame and self-blaming that gets perpetuated by toxic masculinity. And so all of that to say, I, I think the numbers may be like one in five men are also survivors. So I, I really want to bring uh, male identified folks into this conversation about how we can support them and how they can feel connected and, and loved during this time. Beautiful. And at the end of the show, as always, we're going to have some resources posted for those that want some more information. Uh, Dr. Milo, I have questions came in that I'd love for you to answer with us. Yes, always. You uh, get great questions. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm never sure what's coming in, right? Sometimes we get a little bit of a curveball. <laughs> uh, this one asks, when my boyfriend and I argue, things tend to escalate to the point where I don't feel safe at times. Is it worth staying in this relationship? Hmm. I get asked either that question specifically or a similar question often. And so I, I, as a client um, or working with clients, I would never tell somebody, you got to leave or don't leave. What I would encourage my clients and, and this person asking is how are we weighing, how are we balancing your values of the relationship and what you want for yourself? But if you're really telling me you're going to prioritize a relationship over your safety, then I would invite that person to consider the longevity of that relationship because love doesn't hurt and love should not be painful to the point where we're kind of putting our safety and whether that's emotional and or physical safety secondary to our relationship or what we think a relationship should look like. Beautifully said. Dr. Mother Dodson, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Have a beautiful night. Thank you for always having me. You as well. Be well. Love line with Dr. Chris on channel Q. All right. Time for DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world. We want you to explore confidence. Here we go. Hey, Dr. Chris, I have a problem. And I hope that you might be able to help me or guide me on how to best go about solving my problem. I'm usually very easily aroused, and that means that I cannot control my erections out in public or at home. I usually can't talk to a female I like or find attractive without getting an embarrassing erection. I can't control them like a regular person can, and it's causing me trouble with getting relationships. Any advice or help you can provide would be amazing. Um, Yeah, so our nervous system is built differently, right? And that's why some individuals, uh, it's hard for them to get erections and to keep and maintain erections and orgasm. For other people, they get erect very easily. They also orgasm very easily. And I work with a multitude of different people that will come in wanting the opposite of what they have. Oh, I want to last longer or I last too long and I want to come quicker. Now, this is all rooted in our nervous system. 
uh, how soon you ejaculate is r- related to your nervous system, but also the level of arousal in front of you. So you have a very sensitive to arousal, arousal nervous system. There's nothing you can do about that. And I don't really want you to, but I understand the embarrassment. And so what I'm hoping for you is that as you get older and you have more sexual experiences that your arousal, your sensitivity might drop down. Um, but there's nothing medically that can be done to necessarily impact that. It's something you're going to have to navigate. So it's really going to be a matter of you checking in on the physical and the psychological. If you see someone that you find attractive, you have to psychologically manage not letting your mind wander too much in terms of fantasy, which is going to spike it and maintain it more. And also around the physicality, you're going to have to just be very thoughtful and very cautious about who you're around, where you are, and when you're around them. There are some things that go on with our bodies that we can't manage. Oh, someone who overly lubricates, under lubricates, and we try to find ways to kind of work our way through. But at the end of the day, we have the body we have, and sometimes it doesn't operate the way we want. Slide in the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex of world. We want you to explore the confidence. Coming up next, we're going to be doing our kink segment, talking about air sex. Ah, yes. Stick around for that. Listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. Love Line. This is Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q. We are going to go now to singer-songwriter Grayson Chance. Grayson, how are you? Hey, how are you? So sorry we had some technical difficulties. It's all right. what happens with the live show. All right. Yeah, so I guess our Wi-Fi just sucks here. (laughs) (laughs) It's all right. It's all right. We got you. So I want to just start by asking you right now, how is your mental health? Uh, I'm doing all right. Uh, You know, it's a mixture of ups and downs right now. Um, Quarantine has been in many ways a blessing. It's given me a lot of time to sort of uh, be in one place. I played 105 shows last year, so um, it's been nice to sort of be in the same bed for a minute. Um, but you know, you also have your sort of down moments where you're just questioning what the world is going to look like after this. Um, but today has been a good day thus far. 105 different places. Does that feel fun and exciting to you? Or does that feel chaotic and dysregulated? Cause when you said that I felt very chaotic in my body. Um, it's, it's sort of just what I do now at this point. I think, um, in many ways I, it's it's not until you're able to finish up a tour when you're when you're looking back where you're going oh my gosh we actually just pulled that off but in the moment um, I'm so just inspired by the fans and I love being on stage I'm addicted to it um, and I I love touring and I miss it a lot right now. Well, congrats. I'm always happy to hear that someone's thriving and able to do what they love. And, you know, your, your fans, you were among our guests to get the most questions. We were, we were flooded. Everyone has a lot of questions for you. We will get to those. But before we get there, talk to me a little bit about self-care. I, I want everyone to use this time to, to zero in on that. What would you say are your self-care practices, if at all? Uh, well, lately in quarantine, um, it's been as much time as I've been able to uh, spend outside, but do it safely. Um, you know, obviously, there are certain areas uh, in the world where there are different measures in Oklahoma right now. Um, we're just kind of starting to open back up, but I've been able to, even in our lockdown, was able to work out outside, you know, go and run, go and hike when I was able to do it safely. Um, and that was really crucial, uh, you know, for my own mental health during this time. But I also think, too, it's just listening to yourself and, you know, realizing what your priorities are. I think right now in uh, quarantine, there's been this sort of obsession of trying to get so much done, right? 
It's you're living at home and you're working at home. So this means that you are um, available 24 seven. Right. And I don't think that's a, that's a good thing. I think, uh, you have to balance out your work life right now. And also it's, it's not the worst thing to be a little lazy during this time as well, if you need it. I, I, I'm saying that so powerfully to people as well. Rest. It doesn't have to be a time yes. of productivity. So you're not feeling any pressure to be producing new music. Cause that's what a lot of fans were asking. What's next? What's next? Ask them what's next. Yeah. And I was thinking, let the kid rest. Well, um, I now I say this, but I also need to listen to my own advice. Um, at this moment right now, I was supposed to be uh, touring in Europe. Um, and we actually had some dates in Southeast Asia, but um, I've also been kind of on uh, the process of finishing up a record. And so I've been really taking this time to just listen to the music and really sit in it. And uh, we are releasing a song on Friday, um, which that has been very interesting to sort of prep the release uh, during this time. But um, I, I do feel that my body is sort of refreshed and I feel as well, once this is all over and we're safely able to do shows, game is over. This show's about to come back better than ever. So I'm very excited for that. Oh man, the bar is high. All right, I'm here for it. Because I know here at Channel Q, they're playing uh, Dancing Next to Me a lot. I was listening to that today. You helped me get through my home workout. So thank you for that. <laughs> good, good, absolutely. And and you talked a lot about physicality, running, and you mentioned, uh, I saw somewhere in your bio that you're a fan of yoga, but let's talk a little bit about the mental piece. I, I, I was stumbled upon some of your favorite authors, and you definitely go for the intellect. Herman Hesse, Fran Lebowitz, I mean, these are really powerful thinkers. Yes, well, I am secretly, when I get off stage, I'm actually the world's biggest nerd. Um, right. I went to school right. for a few years. I studied archaeology and Byzantine history. Um, so I, I'm like an avid reader. Um, and that's sort of been a, a nice thing, too, for quarantine, right, is you're able to have some more time to sort of devote to literature and, and do these things. But um, yeah, Herman Hesse is, I think, every young person should read it. And their adolescence. Um, he is such a beautiful author and has taught me a lot. So, but we should stop there. This is going to de- derail completely. <laughs> I'm yeah. such a I'm a literary geek as well. My home is just full of books. So yes, we could spend the whole show talking about that. So let's talk about what every what everyone really cares about. Because when I you know it's interesting when I Google a guest name, I love seeing the most searched out questions that come up. And one of the big ones is. Oh, is he in love? Is he dating someone? Is he engaged? So, you know, we can talk about that, but even bigger than that, I'm always curious, what is it like for you to try to date um, at such a level of stardom? And what's it like dating someone like you? Um, absolutely horrible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We were, we were joking today and, and we were saying, because like uh, we have a video coming out uh, here on Friday and I said, maybe this would be a great time to sort of just do a moment of silence for everybody's sex life <laughs> where we can just have a blacked out screen for five minutes. Um, but dating is extremely difficult. It's extremely hard. It's been hard uh, for my entire 10 years in music, but um, at the moment I'm very single um, and I would, everybody's always asking me what, what is the type of guy that I'm into? I'm really into people that just hold me and stick around and don't leave. So if you can fit those categories, hit me up in Oklahoma city right now. I'm, I'm here because all the other men have been absolutely horrible. 
You just made a lot of people very happy by finding out you're single. But I, I, I love it. Those qualities. I think you're going to do fine. Those are good qualities. Thank you. Thank you. I have to remind myself that I'm 22 every day because the having the artist brain, you just wake up some mornings and you're like, oh, my God, I am going to die alone. And then you go, wait, you're 22. Shut up. Shut too up. soon. Too <laughs> soon. You're going to you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Uh, and let's talk a little bit about honeysuckle, because that as a metaphor is something that was interesting to me. And also people were asking a lot about that so break that down for us well this is probably a, a you know great time to sort of get a bit deeper into the song because you know sort of talking about mental health this this record is really sort of about my seasonal depression um it's about the you know i'm a heat junkie i love the summer i'm i'm a person that really thrives in in that element and I had found, you know, throughout a few different years, my personality would just change drastically in the winter compared to the summer. Um, I'm a lot more timid in the winter. I'm a bit more, I, I doubt myself a bit more. Um, you know, I'm, I find myself having harder days opposed to the summer when I feel a bit more free, a bit more reckless, but in a healthy sense. Um, and this is what that song is about. Uh, it's sort of about the journey of the honeysuckle, you know, sort of growing, evolving, eventually dying and coming back to life again. Um, but it's just sort of a fun way for me to talk about uh, how I hate the cold and how I'm always dreaming of the heat in the summer. Okay, we're going to take a little break listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel QNRay.com. We'll see you back in a minute. Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q. All right, we're back and we got Grace and Chance with us. So as the new music starts to develop in your writing, is there anything we should be looking forward to? Is it going to be rooted uh, less in dating and romance, as you said, and moving towards uh, more mental health and different perspectives? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think one of the best things about music is, um, you know, it does and it should catch the artist where they're at in their moment and catch the writer where they are in their life. And Portraits, my last record that I released uh, in March of last year, was so much about, um, you know, a failed engagement that I had and a long relationship I had with a person. And so I just wrote um, so much about that because it was very prevalent in my year. And this album now in comparison is so much more about life on the road. It was about doing those 105 shows. It was about me sort of stepping into the fact that I know it sounds a bit silly, but um, you do have a moment where you realize, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm 22 now. Um, you know, the next few years are, you know, I'm an adult. There's there's no one to really uh, carry me as if there was, you know, in the past. Right. And so it's a lot about me sort of reconciling with that. And I've been telling the fans a lot that this record feels in my heart, sort of like a deep look in the mirror um, and me sort of commenting on the flaws that I noticed within myself, the positive things I've noticed within myself and just sort of a lot of self-reflection that I had last year as I was touring throughout the world. Oh, that's so honest and vulnerable. Thank you for, for sharing that with everyone. Um, oh, I had some questions that came in for you. I'd love for you to answer them with us and for your fans. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this first one asks, if you were given a chance to talk to your eight-year-old self, what advice would you give? <sighs> that's heavy. Um, that's a very great question. I think I would, I would tell him to buckle up that life was about to get very, very crazy. Um, and I think I would also tell him to, you know, stay very true uh, to himself. You know, I've been in this now for 10 years, I've gone through a series of ups and downs and had a lot of moments where my career was, uh, you know, deemed by a lot of people as done. And the, 
you know, biggest moments in my career now have been the times where I trust my instinct and I trust myself and I do what I want to do and I do what feels right. Um, so I think I would tell him that lesson and to not pick up that pack of Marlboros um, when you were 15, because we're so screwed now. We are just absolutely screwed. Oh, Grayson, put it back down, man. Put it back down. Well, in these times, hell, pick them up. It's fine. <laughs> Whatever you got to do. All right. This next question asks, I'm struggling with self-confidence. And now after being alone for such a long period of time, it's caused me to start doubting everything about myself. How do you remain confident and pick yourself back up? Hmm. It's a great question. And you know, I, I think so many people uh, will see me on stage and they'll see me online and see me through the music and, and think that it's perfect for me all the time. And that's just not the case. Um, I, I think the, the the first thing is realizing that no matter how confident you might be or no matter how good the moment might be, you're always going to have your bad days. You're always going to have days of self-doubt, of you know, sort of looking at what you're doing in your life and thinking, man, maybe this could be better. That's just going to happen regardless of how good it is. Um, but the ways that I sort of pick myself back up is I put it into my creativity. I put it into my passion. Um, you know, when I'm able to see good things happening within my work and seeing results coming from, uh, the time and dedication that I put into my music, those are the things that give me the confidence to remember, okay, I do belong here. Um, so my advice to that person would be to take the day to really sort of be down in the dumps and then wake up the next morning and, and try to set a plan of action of, okay, what can I be doing to um, better myself in my work environment or, you know, just within my friends, within my creativity um, and start from there. Wow. Well said. We have two final questions. The next one asks, this one's a heavy one too. You got some, some deep thinking fans. This one asks, what are the most important life lessons you've recently discovered about yourself since getting back into the spotlight and have these lessons influenced how you move forward? Yeah, I, I think, um, oh man, yeah, this is very deep. This is, this was a very interesting way to close out my Monday evening. Um, one of the biggest things that I've learned over putting out this record and being on the road again last year uh, was that, and again, too, it's it's all a process. Um, you know, a career spans a lifetime, or at least you hope that it does. And I'm now able to look back at some of those darker moments in my career and realize that they made me so much stronger. Um, the days that I thought I was never going to be able to sell a ticket again or sell a record, um, you know, those were horrible days. Those were really terrible moments, but they made me stronger for this one right now. Um, so I think realizing, uh, that longevity exists and knowing that it's a, it's a, what, what's the, oh my God, I'm such an idiot. Um, it's a marathon, not a sprint. That's yes, right. yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Um, and then one of the biggest things I've been applying to my life right now is a piece of advice I got from Cindy Lauper, um, just in December where she said, you can't get struck by lightning unless you stand out in the rain. Um, and I think that applies to everything across the board um, in life. Beautifully said. And that's someone who's had such a beautiful legacy in a long career. Absolutely. Chick's been around the block a few mm. times. Love her. <laughs> and this final question, this one's a little bit lighter. And I actually have the same question for you as well. Uh, what made you download TikTok? And how did you get so good at editing so fast? <laughs> I have never. TikTok has made me feel so old. <laughs> I, I, I can't even made you feel old. I, yes, I just yes. learned what it was last week. <laughs> I don't I don't understand it. I, I think truly I'm actually a bit worried about our society moving forward um, to to all of the gays on TikTok. Stop. We don't need it. We don't need the content. 
read a book, please. Um, but I'll probably still be TikToking as well. So <laughs> it's, it's Grace and Chance, thank you so much for being a part of our show and for sharing so much beautiful vulnerability. All the best. Absolutely. Have a thank great you night. so much. Of course. Bye bye. Love line. This is Love Line with Dr. Chris. On channel Q. We're back and we got our question of the night. Question of the night. What is the biggest challenge you've had to overcome in a relationship? Time to break it on down. Okay, so what'd you guys say? First off, actually, it's hard to read this one. Okay, we'll start with this one. Drug addiction. Yeah, that's a big one that comes into my office a lot. And it, it has a question that tends to come with it, which is, how do I know when it's time to leave a relationship when it has drugs and alcohol involved? And just give you a little gem. I tell people if they're unwilling to get help. If you're in a relationship with someone who's struggling with drugs and alcohol and they're willing to try to work on and get help, I usually say, hang in there with them. It's it's not a straight line of a journey. It's going to be all over the place. It's going to be difficult, but we want to stick in there with people. I mean, that's what commitment means, right? When it gets difficult, that's when you stick around. And when difficult things happen, that's actually when trust is truly built. When things are easy, trust isn't built. It's when things are rough and when you have conflict and you see how it's resolved. And if people stick around, that true trust is built. So drug addiction is definitely a big one to overcome in a relationship. Someone else said that the biggest challenge they had to overcome was leaving a toxic relationship after eight years of on and off. That's rough. That's a long, long, long time. And I don't know what toxic means for you, but I'm proud of you for having left. Next one, learning to leave when I was in a very toxic relationship back in college. There it is again. Yeah, it's really, really, really hard. It's hard to know when it's time to go because, again, some of us don't stick around long enough. And out of context, I always say to people, when in doubt, stick around longer and learn to grow and transform and learn more about yourself. Because, again, we learn most about ourselves when we're in a relationship, not when we're single, because relationships reflect back who we are and what our work is. And so I say stick around, but not if they're toxic. Someone else said jealousy. That is a huge one to overcome. And a lot of us actually support jealousy. We'll be like, yeah, that's right. That wasn't okay. You shouldn't feel okay about that. We kind of like reinforce and strengthen it, but um, that's a tough one. Someone else said communication. Hmm. I wish I had said more. I'd love to hear more about what that means. Somebody else said PTSD from domestic violence. It's challenging for me to deal to deal with, let alone my new partner, but he's a gem. Well, I'm happy you found something healthier and more positive. That definitely can hopefully give you a corrective experience of what relationship and love can be like, and you can start to trust again. So congrats on that. Somebody else said both battling and supporting a partner to battle their mental health issues. It's kind of like the addiction issue. When people have mental health issues, we stick around and we help them. Again, what is a sign that I can leave is when they're not willing to get the help they need. And that's drugs and alcohol and mental health. If they're not willing to go into therapy and do the help that, or get the help that's required and do the work then it's not going to be a really healthy relationship and you get my um, support in leaving. Somebody else said about their biggest challenge in overcoming something in a relationship, they said, my own damn pride and letting go of little things because in the end, in the end, it really matters. Oh, in the end, none of it really matters. Yep, that's true. It's the small stuff that we usually tend to get hung up on and when in doubt, let it go. You hear that? When in doubt, let it go. And remember, you're also, you're all on the same team. I think those are two things I heard myself saying all week to patients in my office, couples, let it go, let it go. They need me to sit there as a referee being like, let it go. And they're like, okay, thank you for giving me permission. And the second one is you're a team. You're not against each other. You're on the same side. You're on the same team. Act like teammates. Come on. Cooperation, you know, snap, snap. They pull together. It helps. Okay. Somebody else said, um, 
Accepting and welcoming non-toxic love. That's beautiful. Not everyone's familiar with what a healthy relationship or non-toxic love looks like, right? So that's stunning. Hang in there. Do we know what our question of the night is for tomorrow? Do we have that bad boy? Nope, we sure don't. But you know what? Actually, it's not for tomorrow. It'll be for Monday. Okay. So we're going to put our question of the night for Monday up sometime over the weekend. So we'll give you guys a few days to weigh in on that one. But um, no idea what that's going to be about, do we? No. Okay, that's cool. (laughs) These questions of the night, it's all about, you know, you guys getting to have a voice on the show, but also trying to kind of drop some gems around the kind of things you're talking about. But the mental health and the addiction thing, maybe we'll make that more of a theme next week. The alcohol and drug thing is definitely a big deal for a lot of people and a lot of people struggle to figure out also what is the difference between healthy drug and alcohol use which at times will lead to problems right because drugs and alcohol you're under the influence of something versus when do we know that's a full-blown addiction and we'll kind of unpack that next week because i think that there's a fine line uh between those two experiences right because there's healthy drug use and alcohol use it's not as it's not as common as we see though but okay so there's that um quick note though i love this story anything that's about acceptance and norm- normalizing differences there's a model who went viral for her incredible thick eyebrows i actually did see a picture of this like that's that's real that was real um she's a greek model and her mission is to challenge ideas of conventional beauty and diversifying the body types that we accept as beautiful by posing with her unique facial fixture her thick bushy unibrow she's 22 years old and she started a movement on social media it's hashtag unibrow movement and she wants people to be more comfortable with body hair and that's something that a lot of people struggle with especially women who feel as though they're not allowed to have any body hair and basically this model says i choose to wear my eyebrows this way for the same reasons i styled myself in school because the only preference that matters is my own if my childhood taught me anything it's that i love being different i love that last line i love being different Ah, there's the clap soundtrack. Because that's what it really comes down to, is loving being different. Uh, You know, again, we live in a culture that loves uniformity and conformity, and we really shame and pathologize difference and creativity. And um, I love seeing, I love seeing these movements. I'm always curious as to what's going to come next. Okay, that is that. We're going to take a break. We come back, we're going to slide back into the DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel, QNRay.com. We'll see you back in a minute. Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q. All right. It is that time. We're going to be sliding into the DMs. Sliding into the DMs. That's right. Slide into my DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms. It's a big old sexy world, so explore it with confidence. Here we go. Hi, Dr. Chris. So I need to know your take on the age-old question, when you know, you know. To elaborate, I'm 24, and I've been a serial monogamist since like 16, which is ironic because I suck at relationships. I tried to do the whole single thing and I've definitely had my fun, but I always end up meeting someone that I want to become serious with, which sounds great, but always changes. It's always magical at the beginning, you know, the honeymoon phase, but then it wears off and I start to question everything. I've been with my, I've been with my now boyfriend for a year Whereas if you asked me a few months ago, I would have said it's the man I'm going to marry. Now, however, if you catch me on a bad day or after a fight, I'm so indecisive that I question everything, even though nothing is seriously wrong in our relationship and I do love him. 
When I asked my friends and family about this, they all seem to say the same thing. When you know, you know. And that if there are any doubts in your mind, then they aren't the one. Is this true? If I meet my soulmate, will I be 100% sure about them all of the time? Or could I be with my person right now and just get scared off when there are disagreements and work to be put in? It's a very, very thoughtful question. Um, So I don't agree when you know you know. People are complex beings and our relationship to them and our comfort with them will shift based on a multitude of reasons. That doesn't mean that they're not someone that could be a great partner to you for the long haul. Um, So if there's moments of uncertainty or disinterest, that's normal. Um, I, I don't believe that there's a couple out there where they don't ever have moments of complication, conflict, confusion, uncertainty. That's that's life. So no, when you know, you don't always know. You know, being in a long-term relationship is about committing. And that means you hang in there through all of that. That's how people that are together for 20, 30, 40, 50 years have gotten there. They just don't leave. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But uh, I don't believe in the concept of the one. There's many. There's ones. And um, you can leave this person and then date someone else. But you just don't know what you got. And that's why if you want to be in a long-term relationship, you do the work to make the person you're with be someone that you can be with longer term, right? So, I, you know, soulmate, I don't believe in such a thing. Again, there's different people that will be compatible with us at different point in our lives in different ways, um, differently, Right. And so the person you're with now, you have certain things that are compatible in that work and don't. And if you trade them in for someone else, that will shift. But you won't find somewhere where everything's perfect all the time in the right ways. That's just not how human behavior and psychology works. So the question then is, how do I know? Well, you don't. You don't. You never know what you're missing out on in order to be the person you're with, just like you don't know what other jobs you could have in staying with the job you're at. You don't know what other cities you could live with, you can live in, in committing to stay in the city you're in. Um, it's about finding someone where there's enough compatibility that it makes sense and stick around. But, you know, the whole thing, the honeymoon period, yeah, the first year, well, maybe a little less than that, but in the beginning, it's a lot of, um, lust and hormones that kind of pulls together and there's a lot of fantasy and projection which means we don't really know the person that we're with and so we have a fantasy of who we think they are and everything's cute and they get to a point where the real person shows up and everything's annoying but that's when you know you're in, a, you're in a real relationship when people start to annoy you and there's conflict and there's work to do that's when the real relationship begins and that's when you really get to see you know what would it look like to be with this person long term and am I willing to do that work because that's really the question alright guys DM spot Sponsored by condoms because it's a big old sexy world out there and Trojan wants you to explore it with confidence. So that's our show. We'll be back tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So come hang out with us. You guys have an awesome night. Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q.